Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is called Against Christianese. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May 24, 2015. When I was a junior in college, a classmate of mine, I'll call her Mia, came to faith through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, an evangelical student-led ministry on our campus. I was at chapel the night Mia made her profession of faith. I remember she cried with joy as she shared her conversion experience with the 30 or so of us who had gathered for worship. As we witnessed her first trembling moments of faith, we cried too. After the service, I noticed that a friend of mine, I'll call her Katie, looked troubled, so I invited her for a walk. It was a warm, moonlit night, and we soon found ourselves by the lake at the edge of campus, gazing out at the lights reflected on the dark water. What is it? I asked her. Katie and I had witnessed the twists and turns of Mia's faith journey for months. As InterVarsity leaders that year, we had participated in an inquirer's Bible study with Mia, answered her questions about Christianity as best we could, and prayed that she'd somehow sense God's love. I was surprised, therefore, that Katie felt less than thrilled about Mia's decision. I'm happy, Katie blurted out defensively. I'm happy for her, I promise. I believe you, I said, but... But I'm afraid of what will happen now, Katie replied with an effort. Mia is such a fascinating person. I'm afraid she'll become, well boring. It was true. Mia was a fascinating person. She was a deep soul, a contemplative, an artist, and a dancer. She worked with textiles and talked about fabrics and threads the way a religious person might talk about icons. Dance was, for her, a kind of worship. Unlike many of us who'd grown up in the church, she had a way of approaching spiritual things that was refreshingly unorthodox. She's going to start talking Christian soon, Katie continued with a sigh. Just wait and see. In a few months, all she'll speak is Christianese. I remember arguing with Katie, but not convincingly. I remember worrying that she was right, that somehow Christianity by its very nature, its vocabulary, its culture, its etiquette, would homogenize Mia, round off her lovely edges, and make her too much one of us. I haven't thought about this conversation in years, but it came back to me this week as I studied the lectionary readings for Pentecost Sunday. All she'll speak is Christianese. Now she's going to become boring. Pentecost, from the Greek Pentecostos, meaning 50th, was a Jewish festival celebrated in the spring harvest and the revelation of the law at Mount Sinai. In the New Testament, the Pentecost story, Luke tells, the Holy Spirit descended on 120 believers in Jerusalem on the 50th day after Jesus' resurrection. The Spirit empowered them to testify to God's great deeds, emboldened the Apostle Peter to preach to a bewildered crowd of Jewish skeptics, and drew 3,000 converts in one day. For Christians, Pentecost marks the birthday story of the Church. And what a fantastical birthday story it is, full of details to challenge the imagination. Tongues of fire, rushing winds, accusations of drunkenness, mass baptism. One could spend years unpacking these details. But here's the one I find most riveting. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. At this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Christians often speak of Pentecost as the reversal of Babel, the Old Testament story in which God divided and scattered human communities by multiplying our languages. But in fact, Pentecost didn't reverse Babel. It perfected and blessed it. When the Holy Spirit came, he didn't restore humanity to a common language. He declared all languages holy and equally worthy of God's stories. He didn't establish Christianese as the official speech of his people. He wove multilingualism into the very fabric of the church. Those of us who speak more than one language might be the best equipped to grasp the staggering import of this divine declaration, this miraculous weaving. 
Those of us who are bilingual, or better yet, well-versed in many languages, understand implicitly that a language equals far more than the sum of its grammar, vocabulary, and syntax. Languages carry the full weight of their respective histories, cultures, psychologies, and spiritualities. To speak one language as opposed to another is to orient oneself differently in the world, to see differently, hear differently, process and punctuate reality differently. There is no such thing as a perfect translation. If this is true, then what does it mean that the Holy Spirit empowered the first Christians to speak in an unmatched diversity of languages? Was God saying, in effect, that his church, from its very inception, needed to honor the boundless variety and creativity of human voices? That he was calling it to proclaim the great deeds of God in every tongue, not merely because multiculturalism is progressive and fashionable, or because the church is a politically correct institution, but because God's deeds themselves demand such diverse tellings? Could it be that there is no single language on earth that can capture the deeds of God? What my friend Katie feared that night by the lake was that Mia would find Christianity, or more precisely the Christian culture we had shared with her, stifling. That she would conform or walk the walk and talk the talk in ways that would blunt everything we loved about her. Would she still dance her prayers? Would she still find God in the colors and textures of her beloved textiles? Would she still surprise us with fresh, fresh revelations of the God who had revealed himself so uniquely to her? Or would she conform to someone else's idea of what a Christian speech and worship must look like? Here's another detail I love about Pentecost. When the disciples and their friends began to speak in foreign languages, the crowds gathered outside their meeting place understood them. And this, the fact of their comprehension, was what confused them. They were not confused by the message itself. The message came through with perfect clarity in their respective languages. But the crowds found baffling was that God would condescend to speak to them in their own mother tongues that he would welcome them so intimately with words and expressions hearkening back to their birthplaces, their childhoods, their beloved cities, countries, and cultures of origin. As if to say, this spirit-drenched place, this fledgling church, this new body of Christ, it's yours. You don't have to feel like outsiders here. We speak your language too. Come in. Come in and feel at home. Though I've lived in the United States all my life and consider English my primary language, I still love to visit with friends and family who move easily between English and Malayalam, my parents' Indian mother tongue. When we speak Munglish together, our jumbled up version of English and Malayalam combined, I feel at home in a way I never quite feel in a monolingual setting. The experience is far more than linguistic. It is full-bodied and multisensorial. I can see, hear, smell, taste, and feel that I'm at home. It is an experience of the deepest and most implicit kind of belonging. It is, in fact, communion. I wonder what it would be like if the Church allowed the Holy Spirit to transform it into a place of deep and implicit belonging, not for the few, but for everyone. I wonder how our ministries would need to change so that the crowds listening outside our doors would hear welcome in languages they comprehend. I wonder what it would take to obliterate Christianese once and for all. For books this week, we review... Philip Kitcher, Life After Faith, The Case for Secular Humanism. In this slender but technical volume that ranges from Kant and Kierkegaard to William James and Ludwig Wittgenstein, Philip Kitcher, the John Dewey Professor of Philosophy at Columbia University, argues for what he calls soft atheism. This is a little misleading because he does not commend a more cautious or modest agnosticism. Rather, he favors active disbelief and blunt denial of religion, faith, mystery, and the transcendent. In his view, acceptance of the transcendent is a wild leap. Belief is simply speculative conjecture. In one place, he admits the bare possibility that there might be a transcendent, but he otherwise rejects all religions as thoroughly false. If God does not exist, then are ethical values unhinged and everything permissible? He argues to the contrary. 
Is immortality necessary to have meaning in life or after death? No, eternal life sounds, quote, tedious and burdensome. Similarly, in another chapter, he argues that a thoroughly secular life can have depth and does not necessarily lead to depravity. Kitcher is refreshing because he repudiates the contempt for religion in atheists like Dawkins, Dennett, Harris, and Hitchens. He does not view religion as necessarily harmful, noxious, or rubbish to be buried as quickly as possible, even though in his view it is intellectually false. He even admits that believers probably do a better job of creating community for meaningful lives than their secular counterparts. In his introduction, Kitcher remembers with fondness his boarding school days when he went to church eight days a week and sang in the boys' choir. He affirms that there are valuable aspects to religion, and not just in the aesthetic appeal of its music, art, and architecture, but rather in the ways in which belonging to a religious community transformed the lives of people I knew well in childhood. Indeed, the atheist movement today often seems blind to the apparently irreplaceable roles religion and religious community play in millions, if not billions, of lives. Kitcher's aim is to show how an atheistic life can fulfill those same valuable roles that the falsehoods of faith have for almost all people, of all time, and in every place. For movies this week, we review Lady Valor, The Christian Beck Story. Christopher Beck grew up in small-town America. His father was a football coach. After, 13, after Virginia Military Institute, Chris served for 20 years as a U.S. Navy SEAL, which service included 13 deployments. No wonder he was a hometown hero. His toughest mission, though, began in 2013, when he came out as a transgendering woman named Kristen. This documentary focuses on Kristen's family, about half of whom have accepted her. The other narrative in this movie circles back to his 20 years as a SEAL. Although Chris epitomized the toughest of the tough, he recounts how he used to feign sickness as a little boy so he could stay home and wear his sister's dresses. Kristen continues to have a difficult life, but her story inspires us to respect the dignity of every human being, be people of compassion, accept things we don't understand, and maybe hardest of all, love yourself for who you are. For more on Kristen, see her 2013 memoir called Warrior Princess. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. And finally, for poetry this week, we feature Veni Creator Spiritus by Rabinus Morris. Come, Holy Spirit, Creator blessed, and in our souls take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. O Comforter, to thee we cry, O heavenly gift of God most high, O fount of life and fire of love and sweet anointing from above. Thou in thy sevenfold gifts are known, Thou finger of God's hand we own, Thou promise of the Father thou, Who dost the tongue with power imbue. Kindle our sense from above, And make our hearts overflow with love, With patience firm and virtue high, The weakness of our flesh supply. Far from us drive the foe we dread, And grant us thy peace instead. So shall we not, with thee for guide, Turn from the path of life aside. O may thy grace on us bestow, the Father and the Son to know, and thee through endless times confessed, of both the eternal Spirit blessed. Now to the Father and the Son, who rose from death, be glory given, with thou, O holy Comforter, henceforth by all in earth and heaven. Amen. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May 24th, 2015. I'm Debbie Thomas.